We're going to finish this morning looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which we have been doing uh, for the last few Sunday mornings in our series in Mark's Gospel. Remember, Mark and we have been going slow motion through these critical uh, events regarding what the Gospel is about and we've divided the events of Good Friday, as Mark does, into two periods. The morning, between 9 and 12 noon, and then the afternoon, between 12 noon and 3 o'clock. And in the Hebrew uh, timetable, that's the 6th to the ninth hour. And last Sunday morning, we looked at two things that happened between the 6th and the ninth hour the darkness that descended, and then the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now this morning, we're going to tie some loose ends by looking at two other events, and then hopefully we'll be done. So let's remind ourselves again of the sixth hour, verse 33 in Mark 15. Verse 33 in Mark 15. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So the third thing that happened in these three hours between 12 and 3 was the veil, the curtain of the temple was rent, was torn in two. Now, we do need to know just something about the Old Testament's Uh, temple here just to understand what is happening Uh, the temple had two curtains Uh, there was the curtain that separates uh, the court from the holy place right there there was a curtain that could be seen Uh, it was um, open And only the priests were allowed to enter through that curtain into the holy place. That's not the curtain that is mentioned here. There was another curtain then that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And this curtain, it was an inch thick. It was 30 foot at least high. And no one not even the priest could go through that curtain into the most holy place. Because in the most holy place was the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenants uh, was kept there. 
the mercy seats, the two tables that the Ten Commandments were written on were in the ark. And only one person was allowed in there. Only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that was the high priest. And the high priest could only go in after sacrificing and uh, putting his sins and the sins of the people on the sacrificed lamb. So, here, it is three o'clock in the afternoon. The darkness is about to lift. Jesus has cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As we looked at last time. And he's going to breathe his last. And the moment that happens, this second curtain, an inch thick, is torn in two. That's a miracle, isn't it? We, we may have some thick curtains in our homes, but I don't think anybody here has a curtain that's an inch thick. <laughs> and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's the highest feast of the Jewish calendar, the feast of Passover. So the temple is busy. All the priests are in the holy place. And suddenly... Those priests see something that no one has ever seen. They see into the most holy place of all. Isn't that amazing? That at the death of Jesus, this veil was rent. I prefer to call it the rent veil because it sounds more poetic. But what it means is the curtain was torn, was torn. Now then, my friends, that is an illustration of the gospel. That's why we're looking at it this morning the curtain being torn in two is a sign of what jesus accomplished on the cross now then what does it mean it's quite complicated but to understand it is to see what jesus christ did for us on the cross the first thing that it shows us is this it's the end of the old dispensation what's that it's the end of the old testament way of doing things finito kaput what, what was the way of doing things in the old testament it wasn't just the temple but what went on in the temple the fact that there were priests uh, the high priest only being able to go into God's presence once a year. And the sacrifices, uh, these animal rights activists, they would have had a field day with all the sacrifices that were taking place in the Old Testament system. The blood that was pouring everywhere, especially on the Feast of Passover. And God is saying all of those ceremonies now, are no longer needed. They're redundant. Now then, what's the significance to us? In the Old Testament, God was treating his people like children in a primary school or maybe an infant school. When I did teacher's training, I was going into secondary schools, but I had to do a period observing in a primary school. 
Now, that's difficult. I admire primary school teachers. To make something simple is very, very hard. And so God was teaching Israel through symbols the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the sacrifice, God was teaching that without a sacrifice, without blood being shed, without uh, another taking our blame, there is no forgiveness. God was teaching through the temple that it is possible for God, the Holy One, to dwell amongst people like you and me. The priest, or the high priest in particular, God was teaching that somebody can represent you and me. Somebody can plead our case. Somebody can sacrifice on our behalf. So there is the sacrifices, there is the priest, there is the temple. All of those things are now redundant. The temple still stood for a few more decades, but in AD 70, the temple was razed to the ground by the Romans. It was utterly destroyed. If you go to Jerusalem today, all you have left of the temple, and this is Herod's temple now, not Solomon's temple, all you have left is the Wailing Wall. That's all. The sacrifices, they're no longer needed. Remember at the start of Mark's Gospel, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus Christ? What did he say? Pointing to Jesus Christ. Behold, that's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. All the other lambs, they are pointing to him, to him. And then Jesus Christ is not just the sacrifice, he is the priest as well. Now, the Old Testament couldn't cope with that, but in Jesus Christ, everything is coming together. Jesus Christ is the temple, he is God dwelling amongst us, not God in a building now, but God in human flesh, and he is the priest, he's come to represent you and me before God. He is the sacrifice. The priest here is the sacrifice, the lamb. All of that now is redundant. The sacrifice has been made. The priest has gone through the veil. God has come as a man. There's a hymn. There were so many hymns we could have sung this morning. One we didn't puts it well. Listen to this. No blood. No altar now. There's no altar in this church, my friends. That table there is just a plain wooden table for communion. It's not an altar. No the sacrifice is o'er. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more. But richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Actually, forgive me for going into details here, actually, when the curtain was torn in two, there was nothing there to be seen. You see, when the children of Israel were taken captive to Babylon a few centuries before, the Ark of the Covenant was lost forever. 
contrary to uh, popular opinion, Indiana Jones did not find it again. It's, it was lost forever. So there was no ark there. There were no tables of the law there. All of that had been taken centuries before. So this is significant. The most holy place, this symbol of God's presence with us, when the curtain is torn into, what do the people see? Nothing. Nothing. Is there somebody here this morning who's trusting in religious ceremony? A bit maybe like these priests were. Is there somebody here who's trusting in coming to church? I remember talking to one person. If you ask Wynne and Angela, who have a work in West Wales, witnessing to the farmers there, often they will have a person say what this person said to me. When you ask them if they know that they're going to heaven, they will say, I hope so, because I have chapel. Chapel. That, that's what they're putting their trust in. The ceremony of going to chapel. Now, it's a good thing to go to chapel or to go to church, but we don't trust in that. Uh, the people may trust in the fact that they take the communion. We don't do the last rites here as a church because it's not needed. If a person is trusting in Jesus Christ, they have access into heaven. But the communion, a bit like the Old Testament ceremonies, is pointing to Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. But we're not trusting in that it's just symbols, what we'll be celebrating tonight. It's just bread. Well, it's not even bread. It's wafers from Amazon. <laughs> really? It's the symbol, what is being pointed to that matters. The substance. And it's definitely not wine, is it? There's nothing. There's nothing in the ceremonies. Just as there was nothing in the most holy place. It's Christ, my friends, that is the substance. Have you got Christ? Have I got Christ? And then there's something else here as well, in the veil being torn. As I said in my children's talk, it's not just kaput, all the ceremonies now, but the veil being torn has opened the way to heaven. Praise God. This is what the gospel is about. There's a way back to God, even from the pathways of sin. Now then, let me read what uh, one German commentator put. This is quite difficult, but it's important. Uh, Krumacher, he put it like this. By means of a rent veil, the torn curtain, this veil was the flesh of Christ. The veil was rent, torn, as he offered up his perfect human nature on the cross for us, after taking our sins upon himself. You see, there is no access for us in and of ourselves into the presence of God because there's a veil there. What's the veil? It's not just that curtain that was in the temple. It's our flesh. 
That is another word in the New Testament for sin. That is why there is no right of way for us. We have forfeited it because of our sin. As one hymnist says, Oh, how can I whose native sphere is dark? It's not just the body, you see. It's the spirit whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim. Before God, the ineffable appear, and on my naked spirit bear that uncreated beam. But this is the good news. Christ took flesh. The Son of God became a man. He had to be made flesh and blood. And what he took to that cross was humanity, and he took our sins upon himself so that his body was broken. And through that, through his torn veil, the veil that blocks our way to heaven is removed. It's complicated, but it's simple, isn't it? He has opened the way. That's all you need to know. He has opened the way. I remember going to Jerusalem a few years back. And you have to queue, you have to make an appointment, and then you have to queue for a long time to go onto the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock, the mosque is. And I just did not have the time to, to queue. So I, being a geographer, thought I could find another way to the Dome of the Rock. Because the way you go is from where the Wailing Wall is. There's like a, a walkway that they've built to take you up there. Well, I thought if I go up the Via Dolorosa through these Arab markets, souks, which is like a maze, I might find uh, a way that would get me uh, into the Dome of the Rock. And I, I found an alleyway, and I was heading in the right direction. I could see the Golden Dome. But when I got to the end of the alleyway, there were armed soldiers there. And I tried another alleyway. Same results. There was no way. There was no way. Listen, my friends. Jesus Christ has taken the punishment. Remember when God drove our first parents out of Eden? He put two flaming swords there to stop us from going back to paradise because of sin. That's like those armed soldiers in Jerusalem. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross was take the sin upon himself. He was hit by the sword, struck by the sword of his father. So that there's no swords there now if we come in Jesus' name. Can I just read a hymn? We're going to finish with this hymn. It puts it so well. It is finished. I'm sure you know it. The Messiah dies. Cut off for sin, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice. The great redeeming work is done. So if you come to Jesus Christ this morning, if we trust in his merits, it is finished. All the debt is paid. Justice divine is satisfied. The grand and full atonement's made. God has made us right with himself through Christ. God for a guilty world hath died. The veil is rent in Christ alone. The living way to heaven is seen. The middle wall is broken down and all mankind may enter in. There's no need to queue 
There's no need to make an appointment. Just as we are, we can trust in Jesus Christ. There's no lockdown, as it were, in heaven. There is no social distancing between us and God. As we had in our reading, Christ has torn down the middle wall of partition by his blood, that blood which has wonder-working power in it. He makes us right near, doesn't he? What a gospel. Do you know what? Some of those priests saw this and were told in the book of Acts, uh, when Peter, I think, preached his sermon, that many of the priests believed. Isn't that good? Many of the priests believed. So when they heard Peter preach, they understood what that torn veil meant, that they didn't have to make any more sacrifices, that sacrifice was done, all that was required of them was to trust in Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you see it? And if you do, do you realize you've got the right of access into God's presence? Not just that by Christ's merit you're going to heaven, but even now we can come with boldness. One of my favorite illustrations is um, Alan's um, illustration. Alan's written an excellent book on the crucifixion, and he uses this illustration of the White House. Uh, let me read it. It's, it's quite lengthy, but um, Alan puts it in his own uh, inimitable way. The White House is closed to the, Ameren, the American public and protected by the United States Secret Service. Every road within a 300-yard radius is closed. A 10-feet-high gate circles the grounds. Snipers are posted on most roofs. And it is one of the only buildings in the whole world to have its own paramilitary army protecting it. Not only this, but if you wanted to try and land a helicopter there or jump the gates, surface-to-air missile launchers stationed around the site would shoot you down if you were an unauthorised guest. One day, a little boy walked through the gates, smiled at the security guards, and carried on across the grass. As he walked, he saluted the army officers and skipped towards the west wing doors, which is where the president is. When he reached the door, he knocked, then flung open the doors impatiently, running straight past the registration desk. He began to quicken his pace towards the president's private office. He went past guard after guard after guard until he reached the door to the President of the United States main office door. Outside stood two guards, six feet, four inches of muscle and gun with sunglasses to match. They looked at the boy. The boy looked back. In a hurry, with no time to waste, he pushed open the doors and there before him stood the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy. The President looked up from his desk and said, Son... Where have you been? I've been looking forward to seeing you. The little boy's name was Jack Kennedy, the son of JFK, the president. You are the son of God through Jesus Christ, adopted into his family. We through him, 
can come with the same boldness as Jack Kennedy could into the Oval Office. And we can go into somewhere even more awesome than the Oval Office, into the holiest of all, by the blood of Jesus. Time is going. I just want to mention one last event uh, so that we can wind things down. And that's the security, not the, uh, yes, it's the security, uh, the centurion, the Roman soldier. When he saw Jesus die, I'm not going to do this in a John Wayne accent. <laughs> the centurion, verse 39, who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, and he said, truly, this man was the son of God. It wasn't just the priests that were converted. This Roman soldier, I believe, was saved when he said that. Do you know what? This Roman soldier was the one responsible for overseeing the crucifixion. We don't know if he was the one who actually drove the nails into Jesus' arms and feet, but he was certainly in charge of it. Isn't it grace here, my friends, that God should have mercy on the one who was in charge of the execution of his son. And his confession that this man is no ordinary man, he's the son of God, that's, that's a sign of being a Christian. Uh, as we sang uh, the first hymn, can you say this? We believe, or to put it in the language of the centurion, I believe... In one Lord Jesus, God's unique and only Son, God from God, that means he's God, not made, begotten, with the Father truly one. He through whom all things here being, he who was when time began, he came down to earth from heaven by the Spirit born a man. Can you say that? Jesus is God, the God-man. Uh, very famous words from C.S. Lewis, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg <laughs> or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman. Or else something worse. He's either mad, bad or gad, my friends. The centurion said, this is the son of God. Can you say that? And then putting uh, Luke's gospel uh, accounts, he also said, he's innocent, he's innocent. Can you see what he's doing now? This son of God, this perfect human being is innocent. Why is he hanging there? I think the soldier saw he's dying there, not for his own sin, but for the sin of others, even my sin. And I'm going to trust him. And also, we're told in Luke that he praised. He praised. The soldiers at first weren't praising, were they? They were reviling. They were reviling. But now his... Reviling has turned to praise. What about us? I, I'm not asking if we're jumping up and down 
in thanksgiving and praise. We should, if we really saw. That's what happens in revival when people see as never before the significance of Jesus' death. But is there something in your hearts which says, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son. Thank you for becoming a man. Thank you for going to that cross and not for your sake, but for me taking the punishments so that I can go to heaven. Can you say that? Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. What a gospel. The veil is rent. Top, I forgot to say, top to bottom. It would have been impossible for somebody to take a little ladder up into the uh, holy place and tried ripping it up. He would have been seen in courts. It's God who's done it all. It's God who has opened the way. It's God in Christ who has paid all the debts. What we say is what Jonah said in the belly of the whale, salvation is of the Lord. I just praise him for that. And I cast my salvation, my very soul, into his most capable hands for his namesake. Now let us sing a hymn I've quoted a lot from this morning. Tis finished. The Messiah dies, cut off for sin, but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice, the great redeeming work is done. I see the bar to heaven removed, it says at the end. Wonderful news. The bar to heaven is removed. We'll stand and we'll sing in our hearts.
Father, we praise thee that the bar to heaven has been removed and all the merits of Jesus Christ can be ours. Death, hell, and sin are now subdued. All grace is now to us sinners given. And lo, I plead the atoning blood and in thy rights I claim thy heaven. Father, may every one of us here be able to do that. We ask thee to do a work by the Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.